You're listening to the Driving Confidence Podcast for drivers who want to be calm and confident on the road. We will be sharing tips, stories and advice to beat driving nerves and anxiety and build your driving confidence. Whether you are just starting out as a learner or have had your driving license for years, if you want to transform how you feel about driving, this podcast is for you. So in today's episode, we are delighted to welcome on Ione Georgiakis from Tourette's Action. And Ione, we've had conversations with you before and we wished that we'd press record because we we realised at the end of the conversation what a brilliant podcast it would have made. So obviously we had to invite you on to do one and record it. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me and for having me on today. After our last chat, it just opened up so many questions for me that I, well, I suppose I didn't know. I had this stereotypical thought about Tourette's and what it actually was and how you would recognise it. And you just went, yeah, not really. Some people have that. <laughs> and <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what, Kev, you're not alone with that. Unless you kind of, you work in the field of Tourette's or you directly know and love someone with this beautiful and bizarre condition, you generally don't know about it as much. You know, the public understanding of Tourette's does not meet the level of kind of comparable neurodivergent conditions like autism or ADHD, which generally nowadays we're, we're making some great strides in kind of understanding it and being able to support it really early on and recognise it really early on. Um, but we have not kind of got that status with Tourette's yet. So we are, as a charity, we're working really hard you know, dragging it, kicking and screaming, hopefully, to, to the public eye and to to do exactly that myth bust, move away from some of these misconceptions that we have and hopefully make the world a little bit of a more enjoyable and safer place for people with Tourette's. Brilliant. And that's exactly the reason we said we need a podcast. We need a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and it is a fascinating subject as well. So when we were talking to you before, we could have just talked all day, couldn't we? We <laughs> There was no stopping us. Absolutely. And that's part of the, the joy of my role is that once you get me going talking on this topic, I uh, I struggle to stop. So I'm definitely in the right position. <laughs> it's, yeah. So I suppose the best place to start is what actually is Tourette's? Because my personal view before I talked to you was that people just swear. That's Tourette's. That is, you know, that is what I thought it was and how to recognise it. But it's so much more than that. Absolutely. And it's a great place to start. And I think you're not you're not alone with that misunderstanding there, Kev. So I guess I'll, I'll kind of reintroduce myself. So I'm I'm Ione, as as was said, and I'm the therapies and advocacy manager at Tourette's Action. And we're the kind of the national charity who who looks to support people with tics and Tourette's, but also the people around those those individuals. So their teachers, their parents, their siblings, their driving instructors in this wonderful case, their healthcare professionals, their GPs absolutely anyone who will listen um and in my role i get to do lots of kind of training and awareness sessions and on some unfortunate occasions some podcasts and some face-to-face workshops and i absolutely love it so we always kind of um we're we're working hard to be kind of 
on the ground in order to give a bit of a voice for people with Tourette's. And and quite importantly, I think um, I'm a lived experience advocate. So I have Tourette's syndrome. I also have ADHD and dyslexia. And what we'll learn about in a bit is that often lots of these things come hand in hand. Um, so we kind of we like to widen that lens when we're when we're thinking about Tourette's and neurodiversity, too. So. Tourette syndrome is a, it's a neurological condition, or we might call it a neurodevelopmental condition. And it sits under that kind of umbrella bracket of uh, conditions like ADHD and autism. Um, but for this kind of, in this condition, the key features are tics. So they are sounds and movements that are involuntary. They're not what someone wants to do. They're what someone's body needs to do. And like you said, Kevin, it's really big myth around Tourette's is that Tourette's is the swearing condition and you know it's it's not anyone's fault that they have this this misunderstanding because Tourette's and swearing makes up for a hundred percent of what we see on our TV where they only ever show this kind of extreme side of the condition and I think it's it's really important to recognize it's probably the hardest part of the condition to live with. So what I'll say is that we call the swearing part of the condition coprolalia. So that is a term that kind of means uh, the, the verbal the verbal swearing tics. And we also have coprapraxia, which is the movement swearing tics. So given the middle finger, for example. But these symptoms only affect 15 to 20% of people with Tourette's. So it is a minority of the Tourette population, but they're definitely the symptoms that have the biggest impact. You know, they're the ones that cause the most issues, the most challenges, the most discrimination. Um, they stop people doing things. They stop people wanting to leave the house and things because they don't feel safe or comfortable. But it's definitely not the majority um, who have these symptoms. So I think something that we're always desperately and delicately trying to balance is how do we represent this really tricky side of the condition whilst also saying, hey, there's loads of other stuff going on and there's lots of other things that have a really big impact. It's not only swearing. And it's so important for us as a charity and for me as a as a teoretic individual to move past this because it's become a barrier to people getting diagnosed. So we've had families who come to us and they say, oh, we went to the GP about little Andy's tics and his tics have been going for years and he has this little noise that he makes and he has these movements he makes. But the GP said, oh, he's not swearing. Don't worry, it can't be Tourette's. And actually, when our medical professionals are still kind of held under this mythical idea that everyone with the condition swears or that it has to be so, so, so extreme to be Tourette's syndrome, then we've got all of these people who are living with these symptoms, these really tricky symptoms, but who don't know how to advocate for themselves. They don't know how to explain what's going on for them and they can't access the support that they need to kind of live the life that they want to. Um, and unfortunately, we still live in a, a, a society and in a time where everything's very diagnosis-led. Unless you have that that magical piece of paper from that magical clinic with a 10-year waiting list that says, hey, you've got this condition, then you can't so easily access support at work or in education all throughout your life, really. And you can't find your tribe so easily. You can't say, well, this is the place for me. That's the support group for me. That's the driving instructor for me because he understands my condition. Because if you don't understand your condition, then it's really hard to kind of help other people to get it. 
So yeah, big part of this is it is not all about swearing, but the kind of the criteria for that Tourette's diagnosis is multiple motor, so a couple of different movement ticks and at least one vocal or sound tick. Okay, and those don't have to be words; they can be noises or anything that comes from the vocal cords. So actually, when we think about kind of Tourette's, we might see. This, this image of someone who's swearing lots, who's got loads of quite extreme sounds and movements that are quite violent or noticeable. But actually, you could gently clear your throat, roll your eyes and scrunch your forehead. And you might have been doing that for three or four years from childhood. And you fit the criteria for Tourette's. So I think it's really important that we say, you know, Tourette's looks very different on everybody what you see in me versus what you see in others is going to really vary. And Tourette's just changes naturally throughout the course of a day, a week, a month, a year, a person's lifetime. So again, if we see someone one day and they're, they're quite ticky, they might be very excited, they might be very stressed. We don't want to assume that that is their baseline. That's how they live their entire life and that they're never going to have more settled periods um, because it's just not the case. And I think that can be a bit of a barrier to to people, for example, wanting to take on a new client with this condition to teach them something. If they're very nervous in that first interaction and very excited and ticky, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, how are we going to navigate this safely? But actually, once somebody knows you, once somebody knows what they're doing, once somebody understands what's expected of them, their anxiety is slightly reduced, their tics are going to be slightly more reduced, and they're going to be able to function differently or better in that situation. So tics aren't a constant. They uh, they wax and wane. Again, I've got so many questions for you now. Ah, <laughs> loaded up. <laughs> so is there anything that springs it on or, you know, is it, overwhelm is it just a nervous situation is is there anything or is it i suppose i'm going to leave it there for a minute because there's probably <laughs> loads of questions in that already so fab yeah so i mean the actual kind of what causes Tourette's in the first place it's kind of it's got a genetic component so it's about 50% hereditability so we often see tickers in families we see uncles and dads or parents who have had ticks maybe not a diagnosis of Tourette's but then the child or young person will also have ticks uh, but within the individual with Tourette's there are lots of things that are widely accepted or widely reported to impact ticks and i use the word kind of positively or negatively but actually we should really say increase or decrease because I don't really like to put this idea of lots of ticks being bad and not many being good because it's just not the case. So some of the things that we know can increase ticks, and I always start with this because I think it's really important, is excitement and joy and anticipation and, and the adrenaline that comes with those emotions and those feelings. We have a real tendency as parents, carers, professionals, teachers, loved ones, friends, family of people with, with Tourette's syndrome to say, Ma, listen, bud, are you okay? You're feeling stressed? You're very ticky today. Your ticks are off the chart. What's going on? And actually, it could be that I'm going to Thought Park on the weekend. It could be that my favourite TV show has started a new series. It could be that I'm having a cracking bowl of pasta for dinner. It could be absolutely anything that's triggered that excitement and has consequently impacted and increased the ticks. And I think We've got to recognise that because we're always sort of concerned maybe when we see these increase in ticks and so often they are a celebration. Talking about ticks, 
<laughs> increases ticks. So I'm in, a, I'm in a peculiar job. I've got to be honest. Yes. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but focusing on ticks, being around other people that tick, increase ticks. So ticks, like lots of other things in life, are very suggestible. They respond to positive and negative reinforcement. So when we're focusing on them, we're bringing attention to them. It's more likely that we will will do that thing, or that the ticks might be more present. It doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about ticks. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be around other people who tick, but it's something that we just have to consider when planning life. You know, I wouldn't if I had a colleague with Tourette's, I wouldn't sit directly next to them in the office, or I would not get so much work done. And I have to, interestingly, when I'm driving, this is a big consideration. I do. We do lots of uh, Tourette's inclusive events at Tourette's Action, kind of weekends for adults or children or teenagers with the condition. And they're often all around the country and they're amazingly well received. But I can't drive there anymore because I can drive there very safely, but I can't drive home after the weekend very safely. So that is a kind of a really clear and I guess practical example of how our ticks can change and also our capacity or our willingness or our safety when driving can change and how generally people with Tourette's are quite um, quite sensitive and thoughtful in, is this a safe opportunity? Am I about to go into an environment where my tick's going to increase? Because I'll drive there safely, but after that weekend, I'll have to pull over about 18 times on the way home to tick it out. And actually, for me, that doesn't feel worth it and I wouldn't recommend it. So being around others who tick, talking about focusing on ticks are very much going to you know, increase those ticks in the short term. Stress and anxiety, of course, it's not all, it's not all joy. Stress and anxiety can increase any symptoms or challenges that we have, you know, whether we get headaches, whether we have IBS, you know, what, whatever it might be. Um, over and under stimulation, so kind of really busy, loud, unpredictable spaces, spaces where you're kind of w- quite worried about the impact of your ticks. Could I get in trouble? Could I offend someone? Is there lots of unpredictable kind of car horns or bright lights going on? Those things can be uh, a trigger for ticks. Often, again, in the short term, you might have a, a tick response to a sensory change that then settles back down. Being really tired can impact ticks it can increase ticks and obviously there's also lots of individual things that people have found will maybe impact their ticks so me and supermarkets are sworn enemies i will i you know do all sorts of creative things to avoid going to a supermarket because there's a space that really triggers my ticks um, they're bright and they're busy and there's lots of people and they're echoey and it's quiet and you know all of the things that create a recipe for disaster for me but lots of other people with ticks that that doesn't bother them. That's a, p- a fine part of their day. So really recognising that individual difference. On the other hand, of course, we have things that decrease our ticks. So being relaxed and accepted is a really, really big one. Being in a space where ev- you know everyone gets it. If you say something that is shocking or unpredictable or peculiar or creative or witty, that they know that it's a tick. It's not your thoughts and feelings. It's not what you wanted to say. It is involuntary. Kind of low stimulus spaces that you know what's going on around you. Um, you know the people in that space can be really, really helpful. Having no consequence to the tick, not not being worried you're going to be told off, asked to leave, stared at, looked at, questioned is, is a really, really big one. Kind of cr- creating comfortable, safe spaces. And this is a big one and my absolute favourite one to kind of talk to and ask people with ticks about is focused and concentrating activities. So 
lots and lots and lots and lots of people with tics and Tourette's will find that their tics reduce significantly when they're engaged in certain tasks. And there are such a wide range of these tasks from kind of music, sport, singing, cooking, reading, driving, working, writing, drawing, you know, the list goes on. There's as many activities as there are people, but it's a real kind of hallmark feature of Tourette's syndrome. Do you get a reduction in your tics in certain spaces and activities? And for so many people, the focus and the attention when driving is is the perfect kind of recipe for that that tick reduction and for for lots of people that I know and I work with and I speak with who have have Tourette's they find that their ticks are barely present when they drive they might have a little extra tick at a, a traffic light they might let out some of that movement but actually the focus and the attention that they are paying um, means that their ticks naturally reduce which I think is fab uh, we also know that things like exercise and activity can support a reduction in ticks and mindfulness and relaxation, the two beautiful buzzwords that help everything in the world, but that we rarely want to do. So, yeah. What's a drink? There was several things that struck me there. So there was that lack of diagnosis for some people. It struck me that that must be an incredibly lonely place to have a suspicion that perhaps you have Tourette's but then to be told no you're you're, you're not good enough to, at Tourette's to have Tourette's <laughs> it's so it's not bad enough you can't even do Tourette's properly so no <laughs> what a great way to reframe it absolutely and it it really must feel like that I mean it's not rare it's one in a hundred school-aged children it's 300,000 people in the UK at least and I'd say that that's, that statistic is probably it's probably higher, but we we just people aren't getting diagnosed at the rate and as easily as they could and should be. Um, so there's all these kind of invisible barriers to people accessing diagnosis and treatment, and and the confidence and the language that comes with those. At, you know, yeah, yeah, it must be incredibly lonely not to be able to find your tribe or the support because we all need that, don't we? And then the other thing that struck me was that excitement and stress and anxiety are two sides of the same coin. We often feel those feelings almost identically in our physical body, but it's all down to interpretation, isn't it? So it makes complete sense that those sensations, being excited or being anxious, they feel very similar. So, of course, they would both increase ticks. It, it makes sense. Absolutely. That butterflies in your tummy, you know, is it that actually it's, it's an excited fluttering or is it, oh, I feel sick. And, you know, it's, it's you're so right. It's in the interpretation, isn't it? But it feels so similar in the body. Um, yeah, absolutely. Nerve-sighted. Nerve-sighted. We, nerve we, like, we like the word nerve-sighted. <laughs> oh, so I love that. not sure... <laughs> If they're nervous or excited or it's a bit of both, then we just blend them into nerve-sighted. Oh, that I'm, I'm pinching that. That's fabulous. I'm feeling a bit nerve-sighted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yes, that thing that judgment is everywhere, isn't it? And so even if somebody is ticking a lot, that immediately we jump to that conclusion that it's a negative, that they're feeling anxious rather than feeling excited. So just trying to, when you have that natural reaction, just trying to pause it a second and then just say, how's your day today? 
find out is it being excited or is it being nervous and anxious or or maybe not even knowing yeah absolutely and actually one thing I will mention is that something that I consistently hear from from the Tourette's community is this this frustration um when people kind of comment on on that the tick severity that day so whether that's positively or negatively oh you're not very ticky today marvelous you think oh well I'm gonna be now because you've just (laughs) you've just reinforced it you've reminded my brain that I want and need to do these things you have just reactivated it you know done and then on the other hand of this when people are saying yeah you are very ticky actually again you're increasing attention to it and you're making someone more self-conscious of other people noticing it so I kind of generally say if there's not risk involved then we can just ignore ticks you know at any level sometimes ticks are funny sometimes ticks are creative shocking bizarre beautiful and it's okay to respond in those moments based on the individual. You know, everyone has a different way of managing their condition and living with it. Some people's tics, um, some people find it really difficult if other people respond. But I generally encourage kind of just asking because I, for example, if I had a, a quite a bizarre or complex vocal tic, which can be all sorts, um, I I respond. I laugh at my tics. They shock me. They surprise me. They entertain me. And the the people in my direct circle also kind of use humour to navigate and live with this bizarre condition. But there's such a difference between kind of saying, do you mind if I respond if it's appropriate to kind of walking past someone and responding without knowing them or being in their their circle and their system? Um, Because I've told people, you know, we just ignore tics before and they've taken it to the extreme and everyone is in the room pretending it's not happening. And it's like that's almost as strange as us really focusing on them and ignoring everything else so I just it's kind of taking everything with a pinch of salt and recognizing that we've all got different ways of living with this and and some ticks warrant a bit of a response and a bit of an interaction and other ticks we're just gonna let them be. I'm just gonna jump in here to let you know about our Drive Calm journal. We've created a 12-week prompt journal to support our listeners to take action and improve driving confidence. The journal includes questions, prompts and exercises to create an action plan and an opportunity for reflection afterwards. Search Drive Calm on Amazon to take a look. We hope it helps. And it's it's really interesting. It's one that you accept it yourself. You know, I think that's one of the the big things. But also others just accepting who you are because everyone is an individual, aren't they? So although people might tick, I might sneeze a lot or I might cough a lot or, but you, you, you know, it's, it's, that's what I'm, I was getting from the last time we talked and you've just confirmed it again to me is that, you know, we're all different. We all do stuff Absolutely. and it's just accepting that in the first place is yeah. everyone's different. Everyone's different. And you're so right. We tune out as human beings, like all of these sounds and kind of, you know, people have these little these wiggles. They might stand up a lot. They might tap their pen incessantly. They might, like you said, have hay fever and sneeze really loudly and violently 400 times a day. And we kind of tune it out because we expect to hear it in our environment. So we we don't necessarily give it attention. But if that's a meow in an office, if that's a, you know, a bird noise in the supermarket, we're suddenly going, what's going on here? And our brains are getting confused. And as soon as our, because they're trying to keep us safe and work out that there's a, there's something that doesn't fit right now. Let's get curious about it. But once we've got curious about it and we've realised, well, 
there's probably not a cat in her pocket. So let's assume that there's something else going on. And actually, we don't really need to know about it. So we can just ignore it. Now we can tune it out. That's that's what we want to be kind of doing is is just let it, letting it be. It's not always easy. Sometimes ticks are really loud or really shocking or really distracting. But once we've realized that's a tick, then we can draw attention away and say, hey, brain, you're safe. There isn't a cat. There isn't a tiger. There isn't a lion or a bear. It's just Margaret. And Margaret's doing her thing. <laughs> so I'm going to turn it to sort of like the driving aspect of things now, I suppose. So if people were driving, you know, learning to drive or they already driving, and you mentioned some of the things that, you know, nerves and stress, noisy, unpredictability, those, those sort of things. So do you feel like when you're driving in a car, do you feel like it's a safe place in the car? Me personally? Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, it's got everyone, I know everyone's different, but I suppose when you're learning to drive or you're driving on your own, you, you can choose if you want the radio on. You can choose if there's no radio on. And does that then constitute that safe place for you? Great question. And I mean, I think what I'd say is it's it's changed, Kev. So I've been driving for nearly 10 years now, nine nine years. And, and as we know, these things happen at the beginning of my driving journey. It took all of my mental and physical focus and all of my attention now is very tense. And I, I actually didn't particularly enjoy driving. I found it quite a stressful process. I found learning to drive okay. Um, but now I, I don't mind driving at all. I really enjoy it. I've acclimatized to it. I don't have to focus so much. And it is an environment. It is an activity that naturally reduces my tics. I... I enjoyed learning to drive. I had a wonderful driving instructor, a fabulous Scottish man who loved rock music and who'd always give me a fisherman's friend when we were learning. And then he gave me one of my driving tests and it became this like magical, <laughs> powerful medicine, this placebo medicine. Um, yeah, fabulous Andy. Thank you for getting me through. And <laughs> I actually, like lots of other kind of neurodivergent people, I'm a bit of an all or nothing girl. So I think it's the ADHD in me, but I decided to do an intensive driving block and I did five hours a day for five days in a row. And then I did my test because that's how I work. Lots of other people with, especially with Tourette's syndrome, might say that is my nightmare. There's no way that I could manage my ticks I could in, you know I could focus for that long so it's really individual but I think having a familiar person who really knows you and gets you on that journey with you is so important and someone who can laugh with you and who can put you at ease who can allow you to feel safe who can allow you to take a tick break without feeling that that impacts their judgment of your capacity you know oh my goodness you've got to stop that means you're not going to be safe hey 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 Check your assumptions with your coat at the door, buddy. You'd allow someone to have a wee break. If someone was sneezing loads, you'd say, hey, pull over, let it out. If someone, you know, it just come on. We ca we cannot think just because this is a tick. We make so many assumptions on capacity, skill, IQ, all of these things just from these movements and sounds. And it's just, it's not the case. People have to, yeah, pull over or pause for, for loads and loads of things in life. Why can't we allow that for ticks? You know, why don't we transfer that that kind of compassion and understanding and just absolute acceptance to ticks? Mm, 
Yeah. Yeah. There's just some really simple, simple tips there, isn't there? That sort of why can't you stop and pull over and have regular tick breaks? If it's so if driving lessons, say it's the first few driving lessons, you're still finding them a bit anxiety creating, a bit stressful. So maybe you're ticking more, then factor that in. Having that driving instructor who can work with you, adapt the lesson to you, have that conversation at the beginning. How would you like me to react to your tics? Do you want me to ignore them? Do you want me to laugh at them? You know, do you want me to respond? What would you like me to do? There is no judgment. And when you want a break or if you're ticking a lot, let me know. We'll pull over, have a tick break. Perfect. That's the dream. And being told that explicitly at the beginning would be so reassuring for people because it's it's really hard to advocate for yourself and to ask for these things because people have lived a whole life where if they do someone might say actually now we've we've just we've had a chat in the office and we're a bit worried that actually maybe this isn't the right time for you to be learning or maybe it's not particularly safe and have you spoken to your doctor about it yes yes and yes so lots of people hold back their requests and their need for reasonable adjustments for fear of the assumptions that are going to be made because you've done that I, I'm literally a professional advocate and I find it hard to advocate for myself and I find it hard to ask for these things for myself. I would fireily and passionately advocate for anyone else and speak to their staff, their professionals, their teams, their parents, their teachers, their driving instructors. But we internalise all of these past experiences of you know people making judgments on what we can and can't do. And, and actually, that's the opposite of what someone with ticks and Tourette's needs. If they feel safe to ask for what they need and to put it in place without fear of judgment or consequence, they'll do that and they'll manage their condition much more effectively and more safely, you know? <laughs> I just, you know, I don't know if everyone knows this, but... On your driving test, you can talk to the test centre manager and actually say, look, I suffer from Tourette's. I might need to pull over and just have a, a little break and then carry on. I, I, no, not a lot of people actually know that. So if everyone's aware of it from the beginning, people are probably going to be less stressed when they get to the test. Yeah, so when you book your test, that's when you request it. So when you book your test, there's a place on there to to put in. And so if it's not Tourette's, if it's if it's something else, then to say this is a likely adjustment that I might need, this is my condition, these are the sorts of things that would be helpful for me. And it's I know it's not always guaranteed, (laughs) but the request can be made and where possible they will try to accommodate that request. So advocate for yourself when you book your test, get the request in there. Yeah, That's fab. I I didn't know that. And I imagine lots of people don't know that. And actually, I think by the time you get to the test, you've probably got a great idea of how long you can drive before you might need a tick break, um, at at what level your ticks can be where you feel safe to drive versus where you don't. There's quite unique ticks that can be barriers to driving. If you have those ticks, you have to think more carefully about how you drive, how long you drive for, when you're safe to drive. And there's a thousand ticks that would have absolutely no impact on your driving safety. If, you know, if people can belt out Mariah Carey songs, right, for their whole eight hour journey home, then why can't someone have persistent vocal ticks? Why can't I stick my tongue out repeatedly? Why can't I raise my eyebrows? Okay, if my tick is rolling my eyes, 
and I know that that's 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 going to be a direct safety barrier to driving. So that right. day when that tick's occurring, I'm not going to drive, or I'm not going to drive for longer than my ticks will naturally suppress. But there's just a thousand and one other ticks that would have no wow. impact. Normally, by the time you get to your test, you know how long you can drive before mm. tick might start to impact. But like you said, test day, it's not a normal day, is it? It's not with yeah. your your Andy. It's not with your familiar safe driving instructor that you've been with for a long time. It might be a totally new face and your ticks might be more severe that day. And so um, just knowing, oh, I might not need it, but I have that option there. That in itself is probably going to reduce ticks because it's that yeah. protection, isn't it? It's that answer to that worry question. What's going to happen if? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, yeah sorry. Thank you. I'll ask loads of questions. You go first. <laughs> it's almost like the Kev show again. You carry on. I get, I'm in <laughs> So I know when we spoke before, so, you know, talking on about driving tests and talking about anxiety, one of the things that you mentioned when we talked previously was that one of the causes of anxiety is that judgment from, like you say, you're not next to your normal driving instructor who you've had those conversations with, who you've built that relationship with. And so that judgment from an examiner, not just about your driving, but about you and your tics can increase that anxiety, can't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, so Tourette's isn't uh, isn't a learning disability. It doesn't impact IQ. If anything, lots of people with Tourette's kind of have these these really spiky profiles. So they're really, really incredible strengths, well above the average population. And then a few things that are particularly difficult because of their brain type and, and the way that they work and live. But some of the sounds and movements that can come from the body when someone is is having tics can be really, really, really quickly and easily associated with oh, a lack of capacity, a lack of understanding, um, some additional learning needs, very poor control or very impulsive or very loud or hyperactive. But actually, it's simply a feature of the condition and it's it's not it doesn't impact those things. But I think consciously or unconsciously people are making assumptions and judgments on on all sorts of things when they hear or see these these movements so that's something we really like to say you know it's don't assume it makes an ass out of you and me this is this is simply a body reaction it's a it's a muscle movement it's a sound um don't try to look too far beyond it really yeah fabulous I, I mean, I've just written some little, I've written loads of notes again. I've written loads of notes again. <laughs> so I suppose from my driving instructor background, and if driving instructors are listening to this, my advice to them would be um, no assumptions and just no judgments. You know, everyone's an individual. We teach the individual, you know, and I suppose that is, the, the golden rule, isn't it? You know, we we just teach the individual. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I was looking up a little bit of kind of research into to driving and Tourette's, etc. And, and things seem to say that actually the presence of Tourette's doesn't seem to have that much of an impact on kind of driving outcomes and safety. The presence of ADHD and carrying ADHD, that is actually kind of statistically what, what shows maybe a slight risk increase with driving. But actually with Tourette's, no, what, what lots of studies have shown us is that most people with ticks and Tourette's, around 80% who engaged in this research, 
have a driving license and drive safely and a small percentage with with more intense ticks or quite specific ticks for example throwing the head back or eye rolling that impair the safety of driving those individuals chose not to get a driving license though what's interesting is that all of the people in this piece of research that said you know i don't have a driving license because of my ticks all of them or you know 98 percent of them wanted support to access one but didn't feel like that support was in place and that that support was available and actually for those individuals i think there there is a safe way to drive and it's about kind of really low and slow and if you need to do half an hour lessons over an hour lessons or two hour lessons marvelous if you need to build up your your exposure to driving if you need to spend some time in someone else's car first if you need to you know that i think that there are lots of safe and creative ways that we can support people to learn to driving whilst recognizing that it's a choice and loads of people with or without Tourette's don't want to drive or don't need to drive um but what i found really lovely and reassuring from the research is that most individuals with Tourette's drive drive safely comfortably and happily but make informed day-to-day decisions on factors that might impact their ticks. I won't ever drive to a festival. It wouldn't be safe. I'm too excited. And, you know, regardless of, of the Tourette's, it's kind of my personality, but I know that that's something and I will, I put that in place. I, it's my legal, ethical, personal responsibility to do that. You know, you you don't need to disclose that you have Tourette's syndrome in order to get a driving license, unless you think it's going to impact your driving. And if you're not sure, talk to your doctor. Have that conversation. Look at the research that explores what types of ticks might impact driving. And is this something I'm experiencing? In which case, is this the right time? We know that ticks come and go. They change throughout the course of a person's life. So I, I've i had eye rolling ticks for various points within my life and various points within the 10 years that I've been driving. It didn't mean that I had to give up my license. It meant that I didn't drive at that time. Um, and similarly, in, in China of childhood, I had big arm ticks and those would have impaired my driving but I wasn't learning to drive at that time. So we're recognising ticks come and go, they wax and wane, they rarely stay the same ticks throughout the course of your life. Um, And so if it's not the right time right now, it doesn't mean it's never going to be the right time. More questions? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's just brilliant. It's just so much really common sense, obvious it doesn't feel like there's anything that we shouldn't already know, and yet somehow we didn't already know. It's... Well, it's our assumptions, isn't it? Yeah. That's the, if I was to sum this up, you go right back to the beginning, what did I think Tourette's was? And it's, but it may be that, but there's a lot more as well, isn't there? And it's just like, okay, I get it now. Absolutely. absolutely. And I think actually it's a nice point to come back to, Kev, we we said that the there's only fifteen to twenty percent of people who have these kind of these swearing ticks. But if you are working with someone with these ticks, the most important thing you can do is to not bring attention to them and to ignore them, even if, and I really compassionately recognise that this isn't always easy, even if the nature of those ticks target a feature, you know, a characteristic about yourself, which they often do, and often the anxiety of insulting, offending or upsetting someone increases the likelihood of that tick happening. So, it's not easy. I work with lots of people with threats. I have received, I've been on the receiving end of some really creative, beautiful, bizarre, targeted ticks that you're like, oh, that hit right in my self-conscious gland. However, 
is not what they meant. And if I make them feel anxious, shamed or embarrassed for this, I'm going to make it worse for them. They live with this condition all the time. I am, I'm alongside this for one hour a week. And actually, my comfort isn't always more important than someone else's. Actually, how can we just say, well, no, I, I get it. Oof, I get it. It's okay. And that's something that's so protective. And in time, that would that would reduce the likelihood of those ticks occurring when someone isn't going, don't call him fat, don't call him bald, don't call him this, don't call him that. You know, it's it's the it's the don't that make us actually more likely to do. So if people aren't worrying, they are less likely to yeah. to have some of those ticks. Not always easy, but give it a go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I I think that is a brilliant piece of advice to to finish up on, actually. I uh, I only thank you so much for sparing the time for us today to come on and talk so passionately and give us so much information, which I, I really hope that everyone else enjoys and learns something from because we know we've learned a lot from you. Yeah, it's and it's yeah, it's been brilliant. So thank you. Oh, you are so, so welcome. It's been really wonderful to, to come and have this conversation. And I know that this is a, a worry and an anxiety for lots of young people growing up with Tourette's. Will I ever drive? Will I ever get a job? Will I ever get married? And I hope that some of the, the support and advice can help people to know you absolutely can drive safely and you might just need to explore with support what helps your tics, what's in, what increases your tics and find the right driving instructor who really gets you, you know, and I think good luck with it. And obviously, if if you are learning to drive and you want some support or some advice, do get in contact with Tourette's Action and we can um, we can offer some kind of support strategies to make that journey a little bit easier if needed. So thank you yeah. so much for having me, guys. Oh, thank you. And we will make sure that all of your links are in the show notes so that they're there available for anybody listening to uh, be able to find you nice and easily. Fabulous. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. Find out about the different ways that you can work with us on our website, www.confidentdrivers.co.uk and begin to transform the way you feel about driving. 